The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, Patria, I actually heard of friends doing a gravel event this past weekend. Wow, this is great news. Something you probably wouldn't have expected, would you? I was surprised. I didn't realize that the—I knew about the event— um, but I figured at some point it must have gotten canceled and it did not get canceled. So the event is the Shasta Gravel Hugger. And I've got two friends who are up there and they've shown me photos, posted some on, on social media. I'm going to talk to them and see if I can't create a post, a, a little photo gallery for TCI. But holy cow, it was cold and frozen, but... You know, sloppy conditions. Uh, my friend Romani sent me this photo of the rear triangle of her bike. And yeah. all you could see was the brown that was caked up on it. Yeah. Wow. So a very proper gravel, muddy road. And what 100 season miles ride? to boot. Oh, my goodness. So how many people need a new drivetrain or practically a new bike after that? I. I want to say there were only five women. I think Romani said that the only five women finished that length. Wow. Well, yeah. it's early in the season for anyone. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even for you guys in California, yeah. that seems early season for that kind of distance. And that's a long ride it's, for a gravel ride for in the that mud. Distance for sure. Yeah. How many <laughs> people total participated in it? I think she said it was a hundred ish. And, you know, they made sure that people were, were spaced out reasonably well. I've seen some photos of, of pace lines. Um, you know, I, I, some part of me wants to say, Oh, with temperatures that cold, a virus couldn't survive. That's silly. But you know, right. I just, I look at those photos and like when, you know, the shots with like Mount Shasta in the background, completely snow covered, mm-hmm. you know, this big white thing sticking up in the middle of the frame. And I can feel how cold the air is just looking at the images. It's like, oh, uh-huh. man. <laughs> I do yeah. hope you'll have a photo for the show notes so we can see that. Uh, I got to talk to people. I, you know, I haven't I haven't made the request for permission yet, so I got to talk to them. All right. We'll so you can paint the do. pictures in our mind anyway. So that's yeah. great to hear that the event happened. Yeah. Now, I hear that you guys have swung in another direction. We did. It's a little weird. It's 72 degrees today. And I just got back from a 40 mile road ride. This is weird in every way you can possibly imagine things being weird. Well, it's warmer there than it is here by 20 degrees. That's crazy. <laughs> this, is, this is pretty, pretty strange. And last time we were talking, I was going on and on about how I did a great fat bike snow ride and, <laughs> and this past weekend all the fat bikers were 
just bemoaning the existence of the warmth coming, the last few rides on the on the snow. And, and but hey, when it turns to seventy two degrees, you can't hate that. It's great. It's so nice out. And I'll tell you, I passed just now. I must have seen fifteen people I knew on the road, and it's in oh. the middle. Right yeah. today, we're we're recording on a Thursday uh, because I wasn't able to make it happen on Monday. So yeah, middle of the day. One o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, all of Boston is outside right now. <laughs> well, with everybody telecommuting, it's like, unless you're not on the Zoom call, who knows, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Working from home today is, well, psychological, well-being, health, mental happiness. Everybody's outside. I, I think we can <laughs> all break. be forgiven for that. <laughs> Agreed. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you I was a it. boss, I'd be like, go ahead, get out of here. Exactly. Yeah, because otherwise you have to contend with this person who's going to be really angry, missing this moment of glorious time. Yeah. Which is basically how I felt. Yep. What's your pull this week? This week, I'm talking about commuting. Oh, okay. Because with the pandemic starting to lessen, people are starting to talk about going back to work and commuting by bike is... It's definitely going to be a big uptick. Uh, people still not being super comfortable on public transportation. And mm-hmm. this is an opportunity to do things differently. It, we've we've all mm. had a chance to take a step back and take a look at our lives as how they've been with the pandemic, being at home a lot more. We've been able to change a lot. Now, a lot more people are doing remote work. Many mm-hmm. people I know have moved Quite a few people have moved states away because they're remote. Their work will let them work anywhere now. And they've taken a step back and said, hey, I can just live somewhere that I want to live. So I'm moving. See you later. I I know somebody who just moved to Vermont and someone else who's moving to Oregon. We're talking major life changes as a result of COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So how about a little less major life change? And that is... Maybe take a take a look at your car commute and see if it's something you can do by bike. Might as well. Mm. Once upon a time, I'm going to tell you a little story about my previous life. When I lived in Seattle, I, I lived on Bainbridge Island, which is a oh, uh-huh. beautiful island off of Seattle. And I worked at the University of Washington. So my commute, which was literally a forced bike commute. Or taking public transportation was an option, too. Driving literally wasn't an option because one would have to drive their car onto the ferry and you might not get a spot on the ferry. That would make you late to work by at least an hour, maybe two. There aren't that many ferries going into uh, into Seattle. It was a beautiful commute. It was a very interesting situation. And I had moved to Seattle from upstate New York. So this was a major change, a major move. And I was thrown into this. I got the job at at the University of Washington and said, well, how do I get to work? So my my commute was this. I I rode a mile downhill to the ferry. Every all the commuters would stand together. And this was a wonderful communal experience because this was an opportunity to say hello to all the other bike commuters on both Mm -hmm. sides of the ferry. And then it was about a 30 minute ferry boat ride over to Seattle. 
and then the, the boat lets you off. And then it's a very steep climb very quickly from the ferry behind the Pike Place Market, which is famous for its fish and just all the culture and cool little shops that are there. Of course, this is early in the morning. Um, oh, I got this job. I tell you, this was January. I started oh. commuting. <laughs> actually, maybe may have been December that I started this commute. So it was the darkest, toughest time of year to to commute. And I had gotten just a cross bike for for this commute that I could uh, put on a rack and that sort of thing. So I made that my commuting bike, an aluminum frame. Nothing, nothing to speak of, but it certainly certainly worked. But I had never commuted before this. I mm-hmm. never, never had occasion to. I never really even thought about it, but I was forced to do it. And then it was about a 25 minute ride from Pike Place over to the University of Washington, which involves some bike path, some roads, I rode past the Space Needle. Oh, it's just beautiful. Oh, and then, cool. then there's this wonderful, wonderful bread. Uh, it may have been, I think it may have been the Wonder Bread Factory or something. It smells really good first thing in the morning. <laughs> uh, that was a smell that I enjoyed every morning. It's kind of lonely out there. It was dark. My f- mm-hmm. First day commuting, I remember how scared I was because, you know, this is also not long after I became a cyclist. Mm, And and when I became a cyclist, I hadn't like most people ride their bikes from the time they're kids. And I had ridden my bike as a kid, but I didn't really enjoy it. And then I had a bike in college and I didn't really ride it much. Um, And then I had gotten my first road bike two months, two to three months before making this move to Seattle. So. I was very new to the cycling scene and it was great. This this commuting really helped me get into cycling because it's such a big thing in Seattle, that community there with seeing the, the the other commuters. And then I I got into racing there too, because it's, it's very, it's, it's the way the whole Seattle cycling scene is, it's very welcoming in a way I've never seen it welcoming anywhere else. I've been Colorado and everything else. It's it's incredible. It was really good. I think my third race as a cat for a woman, there were 100 women in the race to give you an idea. Wow. And this is years ago. This is years ago. And I have heard stories since then of people who have been in that uh, in in Seattle and who have raced. It sounds like they continue to do exceptionally well with attracting uh, women racers and just new racers in general. I mean, it's just very, very inclusive and very bike centric, very bike centric culture. So anyway, so this is this is my commute to the University of Washington. So I would get there and basically take off my coat, which was like this burly, bright yellow jacket with lots of reflectivity on it. Um, And the shoes that I wore look like regular shoes that had a cleat in them. And I just wore Mm -hmm. them all day. That's it. I didn't I didn't even change my shoes. (laughs) But that commute was was really really neat i enjoyed it it was it was actually kind of hard because that takes a lot of energy it's a lot of time mm-hmm. uh, of course the time in the ferry is great work time and that's what's nice when you're taking public transportation a lot of times you can get work done while someone else is is doing the work but hey by the end of the day we've had a great workout especially with those big hills in seattle they are steep if you think mm. san, think san francisco hills and these hills coming up from the, the ferry port are very similarly, very steep. Oof. 
But anyway, so this is this is my background in, in commuting. And, and I haven't done much commuting here because of my my job demands. Basically, I always have to bring bikes every which direction. But there it was great. I just put my stuff in panniers, hung the panniers off the bike. Easy does it. I, I highly recommend that for a commute. A lot of people like to put stuff in backpacks, but I think once you get that stuff off your back and on the bike, see how pleasant that is. You really sweat a lot. Your back, your, your jacket, your back, just it just gets sweaty and gross. Um, and then your 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 load, your center of gravity is higher because of all yeah. that stuff you're sticking in your back backpack. Um, and it can also cut off circulation to your hands. There's just a lot there that can be fatiguing to you. Yep. Uh, something that my first day, so I, I made them all, I guess as most people would do, you make a lot of mistakes first and you learn from your mistakes. <laughs> my number one mistake was this. I got this really cool Timbuktu messenger bag from REI, which, you know, Seattle is the land of REI. So excited about this bag. It looked super cool. And it almost killed me because I couldn't keep it on my back. And I think uh, men yep. have a wider back. Um, no. Well, I mean, yes, but that doesn't make the difference. Uh, messenger bags are just not a great thing for cycling. They're just not. So you've had an, a similar difficult experience with keeping it. Yeah. On your oh, back. Yeah. yeah. It's difficult. It's bad for your shoulders. It's really not good for the number of things that you need to take. It can be heavy. So for a messenger who's doing messenger work, there's a reason for that messenger bag. That's good for that's helpful for them, like taking things out of the bag quickly, giving it off, throwing the bag on your back and continuing on. But that's not a commute. The commute, the backpack is definitely far superior to that bag. So that was unfortunate. I also had a laptop that weighed, oh my goodness, many pounds. This is pre teeny tiny little laptops. <laughs> uh, I got a teeny tiny little laptop from, from work quite quickly after that, which was good too. Uh, so... So, yeah, putting the putting the loads in panniers is just so much easier to manage. And then if you have two panniers, I really like the Ortley panniers as long as I'm talking yeah. about panniers. They're great. They have some reflectivity um, patches and then they're just large. <laughs> you can throw anything in there and having little bags and a padded sleeve for your laptop is a really good idea. So anything in that rack in the pannier is going to feel all the bumps of the road and all that stuff so um a sleeve for the laptop definitely a good idea yeah easy easy something else about a commuting bike is just having everything already set up the mm -hmm. key to commuting is having a system you have the clothes laid out the night before in the morning you have the same routine make it easy for yourself to get out of the house as long as you have that routine, it's going to be so much easier to make it happen. Most people, I think, who are successful commuters will take a set of clothes in to work. And there's a few different ways of executing on this. One, you could just have a pair of shoes that you keep at work. Like there's really no good reason to bring that nice pair of shoes home or mm -hmm. buy a second set. That just stays at work. You don't need to be carrying those back and forth. Um, I... I and the t typical, you'll see me in black pants every single day. <laughs> <laughs> Take two two pairs of black pants in, change them, whatever. But I mean, when you're at work, it's not like you're sweating in your clothes. So you can keep those clothes fairly clean, change your shirt. That's light. That's easy to deal with. 
uh, depending on how fancy of a job you're doing. Back in those days, I was in IT. I have a, a background in IT and engineering. So my jobs were always very like just sitting at a desk. Nobody expected me to look particularly nice, which is helpful. I didn't have to have suits. And I know people who are commuting and they need to get in a suit. Um, so that could definitely present more challenges. But I think there's a lot of different good ways of of managing that. Uh, some people will just drive all their clothes in on Monday, take all their dirties home. So you drive mm-hmm. one day mm-hmm. and then you've got your system. Everything's all set up and then you can commute after that. Something else that I think works really nicely for a lot of people is doing one way commute. If you can park where you work so you can drive in with your bike, you can ride home. And then the next morning you ride in and then you have your car and then you drive home. Yep. And typically with hopefully you live in a place with weather that can be fairly well predicted. You can time the weather so that it works for you. Now, speaking of weather, fenders, 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 fenders <laughs> make life better. The very first time I ever used fenders was in Seattle on my commuting bike. And that keeps you clean. You get to work. You're not such a mess. Um, and it just is. Goodness. You just keep your bike a lot cleaner. Is the commuting bike is going to be your dirtiest bike. It's going to take a lot of abuse. And the fenders just keep everything nicer and it it makes it a lot easier for you to get your head around going out in the morning if it's if it's a little (laughs) bit wet yes it's better and i don't think you really get the benefit of fenders until you've used them when you're like oh wow i just did a whole rainy ride and i didn't it it didn't i'm not soaked yeah yeah you didn't you didn't get soaked but also getting wet from underneath is a worse feeling than getting wet from above like having the water spray up on you from the road just feels awful. And it gets your feet all wet. When you have those fenders, you're protecting yourself and you, sh- you have way less water hitting you. <laughs> so yeah. it, that is a lot more pleasant. And the number one or maybe number two objection to commuting is showers. A lot yep. of people feel like, hey, if I can't have a shower, I can't write in. Now, well, I, I think you probably don't need a shower as badly as you think you do, but this is very personal. So it is not for me to say whether or not you need a shower before you have a productive day at work. You know, a lot of people really can't get started in the morning without a shower. When I worked in Seattle, I did not have a shower. I've worked in places since that did have a shower. Uh, I really like having a shower after a commute. It does feel really good. and. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. probably working hard and you're probably working up a sweat. So you could ride slower so you don't work up a sweat. Or you can figure out how to clean yourself up. There's a lot of nice ways of doing this. A lot of great options out there. And wet ones, baby wipes are not it. Those are disgusting. <laughs> I think they feel <laughs> terrible. If you wipe up with a baby wipe, I think you feel sticky and gross. It's never worked for me. Um, So... Look for something that does feel good to you. Avis actually creates these wipes and I have not been able to find them. So tell me if you can find them. I think it would be interesting to hear from listeners because I think a bunch of you out there probably have something that worked for you really well. That feels good. But the, the, these Avis wipes, you wipe it and you feel like you just took a shower. 
Like you don't have any of that sticky, grimy after feeling left over. And then obviously there's the smell. You don't want to smell or anything like that. But if you're taking a shower every day, you probably are fine in the smell category. It's the you feeling like you can present to people without being gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's also something. This is a company I learned about when the pandemic started, which we're now celebrating the first anniversary of the shutdown in Massachusetts. We're not which celebrating. Very similar. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're reflecting. We're reminiscing and... Goodness, yes. Figuring out what the freak just happened this last year. Uh, So Crud Cloth is a nice family uh, company. It's out of Minnesota. And they make these great cloths and and a liquid pack. And you smash them together and then you take the washcloth out and and it smells good. And you, you just use that as a washcloth. You wash your body down with it. You can save it for later, and then you can also use it to clean your bike. Huh. It's a wonderful thing. Does not cost much. Just just a nice, good-feeling thing. We were giving these away at our social distance rides that we were hosting last summer. And, and they've just been a, just a wonderful company. So I would say check out Crick Cloth. But I, I mentioned that if found out about them in the pandemic, they had, uh, I think they had a sponsor down on Instagram and I had noticed them from there because when, of course, the, this whole pandemic thing hit, everything was about clean. Everyone wanted clean anything. Uh, So that's, that's surfaced. They have like lavender and orange and wonderful scents. So they do a really great job with those. That could be the type of thing that just makes you feel great to wipe down and then, and you feel good. To work. And then when you get Hmm. home after your commute, then you got the shower. Yeah. (laughs) But commuting feels good. It's a great way of getting your workout in. I think that's one of the things a lot of people were bemoaning this past year. I heard from a lot of people who said, hey, I loved my commute. I really looked forward to that every day. And I miss it. I also miss my colleagues and a lot of other things about going to work. It's it's not all roses of people working from home. Obviously, there's a lot of upsides to that, too. But it is easy to get yourself out of the house when you have to be sitting at your desk at 9 a.m. You've got a deadline and you need to make that commute. Well, hey, look, you just had a great ride. And I know people who commute, obviously, a five mile commute. I think that's about a perfect distance in terms of being easy. You don't have to take a shower. It's it's not that physically demanding. So it doesn't leave you completely exhausted for the day. Yep. But I know a lot of people who commute 20 miles, too. Mm-hmm. So, so your commute could be long, but it could be really pleasant and very nice. There's a little food for thought where it comes to maybe changing changing some stuff that you do when things start to reopen. This yeah. doesn't all have to go back to the way it was before. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, I will say that I, I certainly had uh, an experience much like yours with uh, perfumed baby wipes using... Mm. You know, cleaning up after a race, uh, that's when I first started using them. Mm-hmm. And I quickly found that if I switched to the unscented ones, that that sticky and yucky and whatever else that came with them, that the feeling like there was still a film of something on yes, me. Yes, that's a good That didn't happen it. with the unscented ones. Oh, so, good. Good. Yeah. Uh, so I continue to keep those around. Um, but, you know, there are a couple companies. Um, Shammy Butter. 
and Zevlin, they make mm. uh, handlebar tape. Mm-hmm. They both make products for, you know, little, little uh, spray bottles. You can use spray your legs down, spray yourself down uh, and clean up with those uh, post ride. So you would um, so use a rag then like a, a washcloth yeah, over that? Yeah. Keep a washcloth around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was for a while, I was commuting to a publisher in Torrance from where I lived in Redondo Beach. Mm-hmm. Right about five miles, if I rode straight there, mm-hmm. uh, there were mornings where I would do the morning training ride and then take this loop south uh, that was a little out of the way. But uh, I would, yeah, I'd get to do the morning training ride. And then uh, after the ride was over, split off and, and head to work. And yeah, Mondays, my rest day, I would drive in fresh clothes uh, mm-hmm. and bring home uh, the others. I had a pair of shoes that I kept there. It was, uh, it was not a bad system. I'll never forget the morning though, that the son of the founder of the company who, you know, he wasn't just like some hanger on, he was actually running one division of the company. So, you know, an accomplished guy, but he looked at my bike and he looked at me and he said, well, you know, how far is it? Uh, and uh, being comical, and thinking about the workout and the mileage that I wanted to get, I said, not far enough. And the look on his face, I was like, oh, I just meant like, I like getting my ride in before work. Um, I, man, I told him his child was ugly. Oh, the, <laughs> the look on his face was. I, Were you able to I, undig I, out of that one? Explain it. <laughs> I, you know, I kept my head above the dirt, but only just. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I, I was thinking, you know, I, I could get fired. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I also I'm with you on the backpack versus uh, courier bag. At one point, Cannondale, when they were making a lot of apparel and all sorts of other products, water bottles, um, they were making a, a courier bag that had some extra fast text buckles on it. And so there was a, another. Uh, another strap that would go around your waist and buckle into the courier bag. Mm-hmm. So it went over one shoulder and then a different strap around your waist. Yeah. That thing stayed put, nice. but that is literally the only courier bag I have encountered in my entire life that I could ride more than a mile with. And at the end of one mile, it was still in the same place. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's <laughs> it's still tough though. Like even if it stays in place, it, you got all the weight on one shoulder. That can cause well, that that asymmetric load is not dynamite. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think one of the reasons that courier bags got so popular, aside from the fact that, yeah, they were easy to get stuff back out of. <laughs> but generally, a lot of the courier bags I know of, the bigger ones, have a carrying capacity that's larger than any backpack I have. Oh. So if you've got a bigger box to get in there, that's why uh, sure. it was helpful. But that makes sense. You know, when you're dealing with clothing, that stuff wads up just fine. Um, and that's just for the right. ride home. Okay. Again, <laughs> driving in the clean stuff on Monday morning. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got a good system, the other thing I remember from my commutes was that with everything already there, I could simply roll in from a training ride, not with anything extra. Um, and yeah, go in the bathroom and get cleaned up and, uh, yeah actually be you know one of the first people at my desk same here 
I, I would find that it was very quick and easy to get in. And also you're on. I, and I never yeah. used to drink coffee back then. I was in Seattle and didn't drink coffee. How's that? I became more of a coffee <laughs> person against you. in New England. I know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but you're awake. You, yeah. you had a chance to think while you were riding. You got to sort through what the day was going to be like. And then you get in and you're ready to go. It's, that's great. It's a really nice yeah. time. Yeah. The other thing I'll say, you know, one of the things I'm hearing from friends is they're buying e-bikes for their commute. Uh-huh. Um, or at least they were before the world shut down. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, truly that's one of the great benefits of having an e-bike is that you can pedal with your heart rate at 90 BPM and get to work without ever having come close to breaking a sweat. I'm not sure I would pedal sure. in a suit, but right. you know, it's, yes. yeah, you can actually move and not break a sweat. And that's one of the beauties to an e-bike. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that being a plus, but also the minus of, did you get a good enough workout? Like if you're looking for a workout, but obviously if you are, you can always turn the motor off and push a little harder. So you have, you have options there. That's not a thing in my book. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my perspective is a little skewed, maybe having two boys on the back of a cargo bike and have the battery die 200 meters from home because I didn't charge it up that morning. Um, I can't manage more than about 12 miles per hour with the boys on the back killing myself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, So, uh, that that yeah if you want to work out thing is um <laughs> your results may vary <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah and there are a lot of different e-bikes now like there's so many different options that, like what's offered like there's the boost and then there's the full-on motor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it does all the work or you know some variation on thereof yeah yeah cool all righty well we're going to take a short break and we'll be We will be back in just a minute. The Cycling Independent, which produces the Pace Line, is undertaking our first ever subscriber drive. The three of us who founded the Cycling Independent did not set out on this adventure to do subscriber drives. But as it turns out, this is the only way for any of us to be able to eat food or retain shelter. So here we are asking you to subscribe. Here's why it's worth your while. Number one, we put out good stuff. Features, essays, reviews, podcasts, etc. We make it all ourselves, and we'll make more every day. Two, each of us has a track record of quality work and honesty. You can count on us to do our part when you do yours. Three, our main goal is to grow an independent community of cyclists, people who are dedicated to riding as much as possible and also getting as many other people as possible on a bike for the better of our own lives, our families, our towns, and even our planet. Four, more subscribers means we can bring more voices, more diverse voices, and better content to this little game of ours. They say a marketing effort shouldn't use negative words, that you should avoid words like don't and shouldn't and won't. But what we don't do is also part of our value to you. Number one, We don't plant cookies on your machine and then use them to serve you targeted ads from paying third parties. Two, 
We don't fling advertising at you every time you click on a story or link. Three, we don't accept money from companies trying to get positive press. And so when we recommend something, we do it freely and based on our real world experience. Four, we are not a monolithic publishing company channeling eyeballs into campaigns unrelated to cycling or channeling dollars into politics or other causes, not bike specific that might not jibe with your views. We are about the bike and riding and bringing people together. End of story. So this is it. We aim to add 300 subscribers in the month of March. 300 new contributors to the project. Join us. It will be worth it. We promise. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for my pull. So I spent... uh. Well, I've spent a lot of time recently, uh, <laughs> the better part of the last two weeks, um, riding with an awful lot of rain uh, oh. and and some hail for that matter. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> riding with um, hail, that sounds challenging. I, I mean, I got hailed on two days in a row, uh, you know, so that was a first yeah. in my life. I, you know, I didn't I didn't think I had any more firsts, but yeah, hail two <laughs> days in a row. Uh, it's like, all right. Okay. Um, so this past weekend I went down a little rabbit hole with gloves. Um, on Saturday I did an early ride and because it was chilly by chilly, I mean like in the forties, uh, I needed long finger gloves Mm -hmm. and I pulled out this box I have in my closet that is only long finger gloves. And I went through it looking for something that could keep my hands from going stiff in the cold air. If I still lived in Northampton, this would not have been as big a problem for me. I did plenty of late winter and early spring rides where in four hours, the temperature might rise eight degrees. In those cases, I'd go out with a warm glove and it would still be comfy at the end of the ride. Right. Here, if I'm lucky, the temperature may only rise 20 degrees in four hours. That's if I'm lucky. You know, and so that means that if a glove has more than just minimal insulation, my hands will be totally sweaty in the gloves by the end of the ride. Like difficult to pull them out of the gloves, sweaty. Yeah, know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I don't know why. I'm I'm not somebody who generally feels like he's overheating on the bike. But for some reason, there is this little thing where... If I'm if I'm wearing a glove that's too warm, that's the thing that will make me feel overheated. Hmm. It's yeah, it's really crazy. But that more than anything else will get me feeling uncomfortable. Uh Uh, That said, but there is always the but if the gloves are too minimal, my hands get stiff and breaking becomes an issue. Forget shifting. If I can't stop, that's a problem. Yeah. Cold hands have a very hard time doing anything with brakes. Yeah. Uh, And some of the stories I've heard from from friends in the past, things they did on, you know, sub-zero rides Mm -hmm. uh, or or at least sub-freezing. Yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not going there. Try (laughs) try descending Mount Evans on a July day after riding up Mount Evans, boiling. And then when you turn around and go back down freezing cold you get nubs for fingers no breaks yeah yeah, forget about it i mean at least from what i understand that's not a super super technical descent 
yeah, you can you can let it go quite a bit. But yeah, your hands are just so cold because it's fast. Yeah. A lot yeah, of it I can is imagine. the wind, the wind chill. Right. And it's yeah. never warm up there. <laughs> 14,000 feet. I think right. it's not really supposed to. Um, yeah. So years ago when I was still living in L.A., I took to wearing micro fleece gloves between normal be, beneath normal fingerless gloves. So I'd put on an older pair of fingerless gloves over the micro fleece gloves. You know, the older pairs were usually a little stretched out. And so I could put those on over the micro fleece and I didn't feel like my hands were taped up or something. Uh. That combo kept me comfortable over a wider range of temperatures I swear, than anything else I've ever used. If the day got really warm, I could, I could remove the micro fleece gloves and just put the fingerless gloves back on. And, you know, they weren't totally sweaty. And no matter how much stuff was in my jersey pockets, that pair of gloves could be stuffed in. There was always room for those two little things. But this time there are two butts. Uh, uh -oh. <laughs> After I wore out those micro fleece gloves, I never found another identical replacement. Oh, that's Nothing. not fair to even tell us about it. It's really not because it sounded really nice. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. So uh, I yeah, nothing I've ever found has offered the same amount of warmth for the amount of bulk that they were. Uh, my favorite solution currently are some mountain biking gloves that have just a bit of insulation in the back. One of the problems in finding the right glove is that what works at mountain bike speeds may not be warm enough for road riding or gravel riding. Uh -huh. The other thing I'll say from, we'll call it considerable experience or maybe considerable mistakes. Um, I, I know people make a big deal about being able to grip the brake levers, but seriously, it's not that big a deal. My micro fleece gloves were, just that microfleece. There was nothing else to them. And so they were utterly slick against a polished aluminum lever. Uh, but the hook at the bottom of the lever prevented me from ever having a finger slip off the lever. I never had any problems whatsoever. Um, and there were any number of times that people looked at my hands and like, you're crazy, but it just, it really never, ever was a problem. Um, so I'm curious You've been dealing with colder weather than I have. What do you do on those changeable days? I bring two pairs of gloves. I, oh. I, I just bring extra gloves. These, this time of year is really difficult like that for the same reason. I, I just went out trying to figure out how to dress for my ride today. Mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, it was supposed to be a high of, I think, 67 degrees. Except that when I went out, it looked like the temperature was 57. I don't even know what that means. Like, how do you dress for this? So right. I've been wearing a, a light long sleeve jersey and um, 45 North, like lighter 45 North gloves, <laughs> like full finger mm -hmm. gloves. My hands definitely overheated. I ended up taking them off and I just didn't wear any gloves at all. Um, so I think that is one of the places that I go is I often don't wear gloves if it's if it's that warm. So I'll take a warmer pair of long sleeve, long finger gloves. And then when it warms up, just take them off. It, it, look, gloves to me have always been important for racing, for when there's a mm -hmm. high probability that you're going to hit the deck because you need your hands and you really mm -hmm. don't want to have 
<clears throat> gravel underneath your fingers and underneath your skin. But otherwise, you'll find me often without gloves on. So I, yeah. I don't I don't have a great solution to that. And I definitely bring lots of different things. And usually I'm wearing uh, using a really large saddlebag with extra jackets and vests and all sorts of good things because it's impossible to figure out how to do it right. Yeah, I I'm somebody I really honestly prefer being able to wear one pair of gloves for the whole ride and not have to mess with them. I mean, that's fair. So I've got, yeah, I've got neoprene gloves. I've got insulated gloves. I've got traditional long finger mountain bike gloves, uh, you know, just all sorts of different stuff. Uh, plenty of different sorts of fingerless gloves. I've got this two glove system from Osos where there's a liner glove. Um, it's <laughs> kind of like a micro fleece, sort of like it. Um, but then the big badass glove you pull on over it. Um, but those things are incredibly stiff. Um, yeah. You know, and I mean, they're, uh, well, when we get to our paceline picks, I'll have a new suggestion. But mm. it's amazing to me just how many gloves out there will be, you know, comfortable at one temperature. But if you change 20 degrees up or down, it's completely unworkable. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's California. Right. You know, it, anywhere uh i mean down south it can still vary hugely but yeah a, a 20 degree temperature swing here in northern california is nothing you sure. know, the bad days are the 40 degree swings <laughs> oh my gosh yeah how you dress for that i mean we're talking completely well, like, knee warmers arm warmers jackets everything else i'm not doing 10 hour rides on days like that fortunately okay uh, yeah yeah that makes but that you helps. do pick the time of day you're going to go out so that over those two hours, the temperature has changed as little as possible. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that literally, that's the biggest challenge I ever had in Colorado was uh-huh. starting in Denver and then climbing. And any which way you go, for the most part, you're climbing and also doing that same thing. You're changing your climate by mm-hmm. many degrees, sometimes adding snow into the mix on a 60 degree day mm-hmm. down in either mm-hmm. Boulder or Denver. And how do you how do you manage that? And then, of course, it's the descent. It's it's the wind chill and oh, you're just never ready for it because it's been warm yeah. up to that point and you've been sweating. So it's all the stuff you're never supposed to do, like sweat mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then freeze. So it's difficult. Yeah. You know, one of the things I remember that also made things a challenge was living in New England Every thousand feet you went up or down, the temperature, no matter what season, the temperature changed about 10 degrees. It was about 10 degrees per per thousand feet in New England. Here in Northern California, it's maybe five degrees per thousand feet. What was it in Colorado? How bad were the swings there? Of course, I remember the ones that hurt badly. <laughs> so it, it, we, it would, we have a phrase for that it's, or a word for that. It's called trauma. <laughs> yes, that's true. And I'm sure that's where I get some uh, hand hand and foot issues that I've talked about in past uh, previous shows. Mm. But I would say, geez, I th- think it could definitely swing 20 degrees easily. The, the mountains are just a different climate altogether. And how many feet do you climb? I mean been a while now and all the technology is good now how much did i ever even 
like back then I never used a GPS computer. Like you knew where you were going. So how many feet did you rise or fall? But it, it would be a lot. I mean, 3000 feet, 5000 feet. There's <laughs> big, uh, big elevation differences. So, yes, a, a lot. And then, of course, the <laughs> weather is going to change, too, is the thing. It's not just how much you're climbing. It's that a storm just blew in out of nowhere. You got five minutes to change your clothes and put on your rain jacket. And then hopefully you didn't get struck by lightning. Not yeah, to over-dramatize, the... <laughs> but it's true that can happen. And it but does. yeah, the summer afternoon thunderstorm in the Rockies, I mean, that is a thing. Yeah. And you did yeah. everything in your power to avoid it. So yes, early morning rides so that you're home and done by the time that could possibly happen. Unless you were a touring cyclist who had to break camp and were a late riser kind of naturally so that every single day you got caught in it. No names oh. mentioned. Oh, is this, is this how, <laughs> that sounds like that would be totally my situation now. Like when I rode back then, it, I was always an early riser. And it usually is because there's a group ride to attend early in the morning. Right. Right. And it would get back, get back in, in time to not have any of that weather. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I may know somebody who was unwilling to get out of his sleeping bag if it was still below 50 degrees. I think you would be in good company with lots of people would probably feel that same way. Because lots <laughs> of people aren't going to be waking up in a tent. So they've never been presented with that challenge. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah. That, that how can you get up when it's cold? When it's cold and you want to get out of your sleeping bag? No thanks. I I think I'm made of sterner stuff these days, but I can remember. Well, one morning in Glacier National Park, I woke up and I looked at the little thumb thermometer hanging from the fob inside my tent, and it said 39 degrees, and I was like, Ugh. "Yeah, I'm just gonna roll over and go back to sleep." Yeah, yeah. Sleep sounds <laughs> awfully good right now. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, let's move on to uh, Paceline Picks. What do you have this week? This week, I'm talking about the very most important thing you can possibly have as a home mechanic. The a bike? number one. Oh, yeah, that's true. Good point. <laughs> Without a bike, no. this is moot. A mechanic stand. It's, oh. I joke mm-hmm. all the time about how at the bike shop, the most important thing we have is a good stand. It's the thing that allows you to do anything you need to do on your bike. If you can't get your bike up, it's hard to look at it. It's hard to get lube on the chain without getting it all over the floor. It's hard to keep your bike from falling over on you or over on something else that's going to crack the frame. Just a basic home mechanic stand. I really like the Park Tool uh, PCS 9.2. I think Park Tool does a great job with a lot of their tools. And their mm-hmm. their home stands, they have fancier ones. But the basic one is $180. It's not that expensive. And it allows you to work on your bike. It allows you to easily put lube on your chain, which you should be doing. It's spring. Your bike's going to become a mess. <laughs> if you did that gravel event that you were just talking about, yeah. you need to be cleaning your bike. You need to be doing it at regular intervals. You need to be getting water on the chain you need to wash off that grit and if you have a stand it's going to be pleasant it will be very very different than if you don't have a stand where you're like "Eh," and then you have to lean over it hurts your back it's physically unpleasant when you have a stand your bike is now at your level and you get to work 
on it standing up and then you can see have light it's not a bad idea to put it in a place where you have a good shop light you can yeah. have it in your garage and i think back to the time when i was living in a condo in uh, downtown denver and i always had a dirty dirty and all mechanics who ever worked on my bikes were always like oh you've got to start cleaning your bike and i remember thinking well i can't i cannot clean my bike i live in a condo it's tiny well i could have had a mechanic stand on the balcony there was plenty of room for that and i could have kept my bike clean so i have learned my lesson to all the mechanics out there who have ever beaten their head against me and my bikes but you can keep your bike clean uh it's also really helpful to have a pesticide sprayer and I say pesticide sprayer because you can get it at Home Depot. It doesn't actually have pesticide in it, but you pump it and you can spray your bike. So that's easy. You don't have to rely on having a hose. Again, if you're living in a building in a, in a situation where you don't have control of your own water source, that's a great way of getting a nice stream of water on your bike. Not too much, not too little. You can get it clean. So. Get a home yeah. mechanic stand, yeah. number one, and then all of the other tools and everything else will come. And you're going to just not fight the process as much as you're fighting it right now. Yeah. One of the things I like about so many of the home stands now is that they come with some ability to adjust the height of where the bike is once you've got it up. Mm-hmm. I really like having the bike kind of in my face. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to be able to see the derailleurs. You know, I, I want to be able to look at the chain and I'd rather not like be all hunched over. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a nice one. It folds up really nice and small. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could move it around. You can take it with you. You can take it to events. It's funny. Once you have it, you're going to figure You're going to wonder how you ever lived without it. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like a floor pump. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's true. You also wonder about that. <laughs> I I remember about a week into owning my first floor pump. I was like, what, what was I doing before? What, what did I, th- how did I think I was going to get along without this? What were you doing before? I can't imagine life without a floor pump. <laughs> Frame pump. Oh, wow. And probably, probably riding around at 65 PSI an awful lot. Right. Right. <laughs> sure. I, I knew no better. You know, uh, we all have our learning curve. Mine True. was awfully steep. <laughs> There you go. All all good advice. Yeah. So my pick as a result of my pull is a pair of gloves from Sportful. The Fiandre Light Glove. Mm. This is what I'd call a spring or fall glove um, or California winter. Mm. (laughs) Don't spew. Don't spew. (laughs) The back of the glove is windproof and water resistant. So it breathes reasonably well. Um, with the exception of one little patch on the, uh, on the fingertip of the, uh, index fingers, um, there's some little micro suede that they use, uh, so that you can actually operate a smartphone. Um, but the palm and fingers of the gloves otherwise feature the stripes of silicone for grip. And uh, yeah, it's as, it's as grippy a glove as I've ever encountered, um, for anyone whose bike has bar tape with a somewhat slick finish, uh, these gloves would be definitely a great way to go uh, in wet conditions. They're only 40 bucks. Uh, come in two colors, either orange or black. Um, here's one of the best things about them, though. They come in six sizes, extra small, 
to extra, extra large. I don't have particularly large hands. I'm kind of fine boned. Uh, I'm well suited to tapping on a computer keyboard. Uh, <laughs> and I wear the large. Um, I could probably fit in the medium, I'm thinking. Um, if I wanted a super, super snug fit, I have a very comfortable fit in the large. But these things, you know, I've been wearing them day after day after day after day uh, for the last, I don't know, 10 days or something. And they're they're really lovely. They have no insulation whatsoever on the inside. It's just that windstopper material. I can attest, you know, in a serious downpour, your hands are going to get wet. Water will get through them. Right. But if it's if it's just like a lighter shower um, or you're hitting the the water quickly because you're doing 20 miles an hour, um, you know, it's it's not so bad. Uh, I. It's it's the best glove I found for that kind of 50 degrees and rain. That's great. That sounds yeah. really nice. And the, uh, you were pointing out the windproof qualities that yeah, being very yeah. very helpful it's it's been a refreshing change i mean seriously i don't have a single other pair of gloves uh that i've ever worn for purpose review or or currently have in my collection that do quite what these do hmm. so i've been very pleasantly surprised by them um you know and there was certainly there was opportunity yeah. uh I, I'm fortunate to say when I get out for my ride after we record today, uh, I will not need anything water resistant or particularly wind resistant. Oh, that's good news. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be above 50 degrees. Um, Wonderful. <laughs> uh, well, it'll definitely be above 50, but mm -hmm. maybe not 60. So don't get, something. don't get too yeah. used to it. <laughs> here it, I, I saw something it looks like we're going to be going back down to maybe 17 degrees so Ooh, it, it will be a fun ride man uh yeah i, I i'll i'll stick with sonoma county thank you <laughs> i'm not actually complaining i should clarify i am not actually complaining you know i'm getting solid miles i'm you know Happy boy. That's great. <laughs> and you're learning how to enjoy or you find the, the gloves that make you comfortable to ride in the rain. And then you can be out there. Well, and that's the big thing about riding in the rain is that with the right clothing, it's really not that unpleasant. Right. Uh, but like you've pointed out, fenders make a big difference. Even just one of those little flaps to keep your butt from getting soaked. Mm -hmm. That makes a big, big difference. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you want to protect yourself from from being splashed psychologically. Yeah. Very, very helpful. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. um, all righty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, Patria, what are things supposed to be like this weekend and what are you planning? I don't know. I haven't. Or are you just so slammed that you're just going to be in the shop all weekend? Yes. Business has been absolutely flat out crazy. And that started about a week and a half. We've been busy all winter. We've definitely not been twiddling our thumbs for a moment. And I think this is true for all of the area bike shops around here. But about a week and a half ago, you could feel the change of the temperature just a little bit. You can see the light more now in the evening. And the the number of calls and 
service requests and new bike requests are really high, really, really yeah. high. So, yeah, everything's everything hap- is happening at once is what happens in spring. <laughs> I think this spring is going to be accentuated in that way. We lost last spring this time last year. Right. We shut down everything, all of the positive momentum that was happening. And we had nice weather going into this time of year last year. And then it actually got rainy and gross, which it actually kind of helped during the shutdown. I thought that was <laughs> helpful because that made it make sense. Okay. It's rainy. It's gross. You're shut down. You're, you're being asked to stay in your house. Okay. That kind of makes sense. It's, it's, it sort of fit our mood. Mm. Um, so we, we were going into spring with this wonderful momentum and then everything just stopped. Now we're going into spring with this wonderful momentum and there were a lot of smiles out there today. And now everyone is okay. We're still working from home. A lot of that big push from like what we saw, the swell groundswell, people wanting new bikes and that sort of thing still happening this year. Of course, you're seeing it with parts, not being able to get parts by the way, everybody out there, get your tune-ups, get a, get your bike in now because it's going to be weeks and weeks to wait to get your bike back. Uh, mm. I would imagine in most every bike shop is going to be happening very soon if it's not already happened. So, wow. yes, we got we got stuff going on. It's all, all good stuff. How about you? What do you have to look forward to? Just more miles. This is week three of my first cycle of base training. And I've, so I've managed to get at least 10 hours every week. Great. Uh, but I can tell you, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I need that rest week that is coming. Uh, it's fun to feel this way again. It's been a while since I've felt that kind of leaden, uh, dead muscle sort of thing that comes from, you know, you're not going hard, but you just keep going out there and mm-hmm. it starts adding up after a while. Um, it, it makes me feel good about my riding. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's you're a, feeling good about familiar, it. Yeah. Thanks. Alrighty, everybody keep those questions coming. You all have been sending us some great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find until next week. I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark. Thanks for listening to The Baseline.